Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. All right. We have Jax. Jax is back. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Jax is back. <laughs> Jax is back. Yeah. I'm going from repeat offender to Jax is back. Um, for anybody that's uh, jumping in on One Broken Mom, Jax Anderson is the psychotherapist and she's a licensed professional counselor who has a clinic all the way out in Wisconsin called A Beautiful Journey. And I love having Jax on the show because her specialty is teenagers and their families. And as a mom with a couple of teens, I know that um, knowing a person like Jax is like amazing and tremendous. And so these episodes with Jax, you know, there was the warning in the introduction that this is an adult show. And these are the ones with her and I where earmuffs are required if you are have tender listening. And um, I, these are the ones that I have to tag with the explicit content so we don't get jailed by the podcast police. So there's your second warning of the day on this episode. <laughs> so again, Jax, I'm glad to have you back on the show. Um, she and I were I'm excited talking, to be here. Well, and I'm always stoked. You know, I was thinking about, you know, you're one of the folks that I want to see face to face. And then it was yeah. like, you know, Wisconsin in the winter is probably not the time to do that. So yeah. we probably need to make like a, a plan for, you know, a trip out and visit you June. when it's spring. When and June. Not, <laughs> in June. Okay, June. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's back today because... Uh, like I said, I have two teenagers and the way I plot podcast content is based on, you know, selfishly, like what's going on with me and my, my world and my hemisphere. And the way I look at it is, man, if I'm struggling with something like this or trying to understand this, I can only imagine that other people are, are kind of feeling and, and going through the same thing. And, you know, in the hearing our story, meaning our, me and my family's story, uh, you can imagine that we've had some ups and downs over the last, you know, year and a half now of changes and stuff like that. And so I'm always really finely tuned into both of my kids and uh, and I, I don't like to overshare on them because it's not my choice. I don't need to traumatize my kids all over again by sharing all their stories on my podcast. Um, but I am going to talk about um, with Jackson and have her uh, let us know as parents here some expert opinion, you know. What do we need to be looking for in our teenagers that might tip us off that they they could use a little bit of um, counseling or therapy or some outside you know help with whatever they're struggling with? I know I go to a therapist regularly. I think it's as important as going to you know we were talking about dermatology before I started recording. So mm -hmm. you know it's just a, one of those pieces of life that I believe that especially if you're dealing with a lot of traumatic events and you're trying to do so, a lot of healing in repair work. Um, it's, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of, but kids have a huge stigma 
when it comes to mental health. I'm sure all the kids that you talk to are super stoked that they ended up in your office, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) I get a lot of that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so knowing not only what to be looking for with your teenager and in terms of being emotionally aware of what some problems might be that they're handling, because we already talked about this, they don't like to talk about it. And then the big question You know, it's like you can always be, you know, sitting in there driving your car going, my car sounds funny. It clearly needs to go to the shop. But what if your car refuses to go to the shop? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that's what teenagers do. Um, You try to talk to your teen about, hey, do you think maybe you want to sit down and meet with my therapist or go talk to somebody? And it's an instant. No way. Uh, Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, So first of all, What's normal crazy for teenagers and what's not normal crazy for teenagers? Right, exactly. And I get that question a lot from parents of teenagers or parents that have kids that are going to be teenagers because, and it, it really is a confusing thing because as teenagers are going through that adolescent stage of development, it is sometimes really hard to suss out what is normal teenage irritability and what is depression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always, um, you know, sometimes I'll joke with people like I, you know, all teenagers to me can, teenagers can all look anxious, depressed, moody. I mean, that is just a part of being a teenager, but that doesn't mean that they have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. So it can be really difficult to kind of see, does my teen need counseling or do they not need, is this just normal teenage stuff? Mm -hmm. So what I usually say to parents is, you know, you always err on the side of caution, just take them, you know, let a professional figure it out. And, you know, whether that professional is a school counselor who might have some experience with a mental health background who can help with that, or, you know, a counselor, a couple sessions with a counselor in, you know, a clinic in the community or online, if you find somebody online, might be able to help you uh, even talking with you before even talking to your teenager, help you decide whether your teenager might need professional help or not, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So, and so a lot of parents, you know, uh, you've got that emotional connection to your teenager. So when they get upset, you get upset. And it, it, tends to often feel like they need counseling maybe more than they actually need counseling. But again, I always tell parents like, you know, better safe than sorry, call a counselor, get an appointment, talk to them, uh, see what they think, bring your teenager in. And if your teenager is willing to go, it's also a good way to say like, Hey, let's go and even see if you need counseling. Let's talk to a counselor and and see what's up. We're either going to continue or we're not going to continue. Right. Now, I think um, I, I notice that, you know, kids get defensive, you know, when, uh-huh. you, when you bring that up with them um, because, you know, they're obviously in this emotional state just in general, mm-hmm. you know, everything's like mm-hmm. 110%. Um, you know, is there, what's a good way of, of bringing that topic up so that they don't feel defensive is one thing. I think the other part is embarrassment and shame, right? Like yeah. you're mm-hmm. insinuating there's something wrong with them. when they may not necessarily feel like there's anything wrong with them. Mm -hmm. How do you work around that? You work around that by using non-threatening language. So instead of using words like therapy, mental, or treatment, you know, use words like uh, guidance, mentoring, counseling, coaching, somebody to talk to, 
you know, things like that. And maybe even approach it with, I think, instead of saying, I think you need to talk to somebody, say things like, I wonder if it would be helpful for you to have someone to talk to besides me. Or I don't always know how to help you with some of the problems that, you know, that you're talking about. So I wonder if it would be helpful for you to talk to somebody who knows a little bit more about that, you know, kind of form it in a wondering, curious statement rather than, you know, like, I think you need to talk to somebody. (laughs) Accusation. (laughs) Right. That definitely implies, I think something's wrong with you. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why they're getting defensive a lot of times is they think that their parents think that there's something wrong with them and nobody likes to think there's something wrong with them. Right. Especially your parents. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we've, and and you've mentioned this, uh, the tactic, you know, several times when we've talked about this, which is kind of like this overarching theme in terms of having a conversation with your teenager, which is redirecting and reframing the way you talk to them from accusations, directing them to inquiry, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, you're saying the same thing, but you, you change and shift it because kids do, whether you're talking about what they should be wearing at school versus, you know, getting into deep topics like, you know, are you, you know, depressed and should you go talk to somebody? Everything comes off as an accusation or an attack when it's, Mm -hmm. when, uh, teenagers are having commands thrown at them instead of engaged in discussion. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's so, the thing. Like most teenagers, sorry to interrupt you. No. Uh, most teenagers love to talk. They have opinions. They want to be heard. They think a lot about things, you know. So if you wonder out loud about something and then you're quiet, like you shut the hell up after you wonder out loud about something, your teenager, after hearing you say that, might start talking and sort of kind of filling that space with what they think. And then that's like this aha moment for parents, like, holy shit, my kid's actually talking to me about something. Keep your mouth shut and listen. And then whatever they say, even if you think it's really stupid, say, wow, that's an, that, I never thought about it that way. Can you tell me more? And keep them talking because that's the thing, right? We want them talking. And eventually teenagers will get so excited. In, so they're not going to show you that they're excited because, you know, they have to save face. But inside, <laughs> they're going to be like, wow, somebody's actually listening to me. Somebody that I care about listening to me is actually listening to me. And they're hearing me. Teenagers just want to be heard. Yeah. Well, so let's talk then about adolescent brain development. I mean, I think that if there's anything that parents out there have never, ever, 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 ever been taught, it is about <laughs> that. And I, I I mean, it's like, and I think if you learned that piece of it or started to understand it, it would make so much sense yeah. as to what we struggle with as parents of teenagers. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one is uh, we just assume that once everybody gets to an age of where they can drive or they, you know, you can leave them at home by themselves or whatever that they're, they're an adult and that they, they should be. And I've seen this man. And I, I mean, you know, I, I would say I was guilty of this to some extent for a bit. Um, but I definitely see it in other parents that just, you know, expect so much cognitive, you know, executive level thinking and get so angry that their kids don't do it. So please Mm -hmm. take a moment and explain this very, very real biological and neuro, you know, process that happens because I I think when people go, Oh, 
well, then that makes sense. Then you get why you have to reframe your approach with your teenagers all, you know, completely. So go. Exactly. So the brain, actually the adolescent stage of development is from 12 to 25 years of age. So actually a human being, from what we know about the brain right now, what science knows is that human being's brain is not fully functioning. What I mean by that is using all parts of the brain until age 25. So, and that parts that starts developing, that adult brain starts developing at age 12, around there. I mean, give or take, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what's really important to understand as well is that the brain develops from the bottom up back to front. So the last part of the brain to develop is like in our forehead, that prefrontal cortex area. And what's the, you know, the shittiest part of that is for teenagers is like the prefrontal cortex houses the executive functions, like you had mentioned before. So that's like reasoning, rationalization, impulse control, emotional regulation, time management and organization, like all of the things that are probably, you're probably sitting there going, oh my God, oh my God. That's, you know, so like those things are what teenagers struggle with. And that's why it's science. Their brain doesn't have full access to a fully developed prefrontal cortex. It is literally like a baby learning how to walk. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't just say to your kid that's learning how to walk, well, just just stand up and just walk. It's not that hard. I mean, how come you have to practice it so many times? Like you keep falling down, like just get up and walk. Why is this so hard for you? Well, yeah, you have to remind a teenager sometimes a million times to like do their homework. Or you wonder why, why can't you just set an alarm and get up in the morning? Because number one, they're fucking tired. <laughs> Teenagers don't get near enough sleep as they should. But number two, like they forget to set the alarm. And, and like you would think, like once you forget, you learn your lesson. No, they don't. They forget because their brain is still developing. That part that helps them with that is still coming online. So they do need repetition. They do need parents to repeat. And I know it's annoying and I know it's hard and you know, parents have enough to remember in their own lives, but then to help their teenager with it, it can be frustrating. But to understand that it's, it's really science, I mean, your teenager really isn't trying to just be an asshole all the time. I mean, granted, I will give you some teenagers do try to be assholes a lot. Mm-hmm. But like when it comes to this stuff, they really are just working with kind of like half a brain if that yeah. makes sense. It does. And, you know, and I, I think, like I said, when we see adults and parents engaging with teenagers, you know, from like middle school up through high school, mm-hmm. they, you know, they believe again that, you know, and, and you see a lot of angst in families mm-hmm. around, I mean, I've seen right. it in my own, around mm-hmm. the idea of like, why don't they get it? I expect them to behave better. You know, and you're sitting there going, right. you're expecting them to behave like you at 40 some mm-hmm. years old. Right. And because people, again, they just don't understand, you know, and when we talk about science here, here's the other thing that I always like to let everybody know. We've only uncovered the real nuts and bolts about brain development and neuroscience only in the last like 20 years. And 20 Absolutely. years ago, uh, I was already like, you know, an adult, you know, I was at that, I was 26 years old. Mm -hmm. So this is literally knowledge that not every parent has had an opportunity to have presented or taught to them. I mean, just, it's absent out there. So, you know, Mm -hmm. that's why to me, it's like, I think if people get this piece of it, 
it will change just their viewpoint of their mm-hmm. of their kids. And you know, they're like, "Well, I turned out fine." No, most of us did not turn out fine. No. <laughs> <laughs> so don't use that as an excuse for no. why you're going to sit there and, and harp on them and stuff like that. Right. The reason why I, you know, I wanted you to explain this was because you were talking about you know inquiry questions rather than direction, mm-hmm. because and saying that kids like to talk to you about it. Well, that's that part of that prefrontal cortex being formed mm-hmm. is them being able to discuss out loud right. and putting all those right. Yeah, I mean, that's right? how they're yes. doing it. Well, when you're asking them, in a, in, you know, a question or stating a command, uh, you know, and the way that you're asking it, it, they, it shuts that center down. Remember, the emotional regulation is just not there. So they go into fight, flight, or freeze, and they just freeze. And they're like, well, F you. I'm not going to talk to you. You know, I don't like being talked to that way either. Why would teenagers, you know, why do we expect teenagers to, you know, do what we want them to do when we're so commanding and we interrogate them the way that we do with questions. Nobody likes to be talked to like that, especially a kid. Mm-hmm. But when you wonder out loud and you observe with curiosity and maybe, you know, you verbalize your curiosity, that gives that prefrontal cortex, that teenager's brain, the opportunity to reason and rationalize and work through it. And it puts you as a parent or a guardian of a teenager, a teacher, counselor in the position to really help coach and mentor that brain that is developing that reasoning and that rationalization. You know, so when you wonder out loud about something, I wonder why that kid acts the way they do at your school. Well, it's probably because maybe, you know, at home, they don't have the best life at home, you know, and then parent respond or parent or counselor or teacher responds with, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. Tell me more. What do you what do you think might be going on at home? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not only teaching and helping guide reasoning and rationalization, but you're helping guide empathy and compassion in doing that. And they don't even realize they're being quote unquote coached. They just think they're being heard and they feel good that they're being listened to. There's really a lot of wisdom in coming at it that way rather than using commands or, you know, interrogating questions. Mm hmm. Well, and I, you know, I sit there, school is always one of those things where kids, you know, and parents are at each other, you know, constantly Mm -hmm. on performance, like how they should be doing in school. And, and then, you know, understanding that, you know, kids do depending, I mean, that's the, that's the hard thing about parenting is that we don't really know what the sum of all of our experiences are going to be, you know, and there is no right or wrong answer, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to being able to why your kid, you know, isn't you know, getting it as quickly as his friend. And that's the other thing that you see too, is like, you know, comparisons, you know, Mm -hmm. well, so-and-so does it better than that. Why can't you actually do it? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the, one of the other authors and and people that I talk to um, is, uh, and follow and stuff, we talk about emotional neglect, you know, and it feels like this is like a big time period in, in development of that emotion, not, not sensing how your kid is actually feeling and not, mm-hmm. and, and being, you know, out of touch yourself, you know, with that mm-hmm. piece. And so when this prefrontal cortex development and this emotional regulation is actually happening, if you're not f- kind of connecting with them at an emotional level, you're missing opportunities to help them understand how to regulate those emotions and to coach exactly. them. Right. And when you're exactly. screaming at them or just yelling commands at them, that's what you're teaching them. That's how mm-hmm. you emotionally regulate is by, yep yelling it down to the next person, you know, down the line and stuff. Exactly. And Um, everybody's brain develops all these, our brains develop differently. mm -hmm. Like 
this is the process science goes through, but based on experiences, environments, your support system, whether or not there's any traumas or whether or not there's any biological deficiencies like a cognitive disability, a learning disability, or, you know, autism even, you know, these brains are going, the brains are going to develop differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't go, it, it's not a straight line from A to B. It's a squiggly line. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, when parents compare and contrast their kids, it's, it's unwise to do that because your kid may not be developing the same way another kid is, but that doesn't mean something's wrong. That just means, you know, maybe, maybe there's a trauma, maybe there's a, you know, anxiety issue. Maybe there's, you know, uh, too high of an expectation going on at home. I don't, I don't know. It could be anything. And that's where counseling comes in handy. Yeah. Right. To be able to suss that out and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I had read an article this week too about highly sensitive people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that actually being more uh, DNA related um, yes. than environmental related. Um, and I noticed my, you know, my daughter this last weekend, after her friends left, she sat in the dark. <laughs> so we go back to what's normal <laughs> crazy and what's, you know, like uh, right. crazy, crazy. And so over the, and my daughter, like I said, I'm not going to traumatize my kids. My daughter, you know, is, she and I talk a lot. We have a great relationship and conversation and, and so, and we have our boundaries on what we set and stuff. And so when mm-hmm. I mentioned her, it's with her full, like she's in it, like she's all about yeah. helping herself and everybody else. So I'm going to bring her up. Mm-hmm. So she sat in her room in the dark, you know, from like Saturday afternoon through Sunday and, you know, I'd go in and check in on her and stuff and, and, and ask mm-hmm. like, is everything cool? You feeling okay? Yeah. Like everything's fine. She just really needed to just like detach, like, and mm-hmm. just retune herself up with nothing. She smiled. She was perfectly fine. Um, mm-hmm. But that was her way of, you know, saying, I just need to block out all the stimulus that yeah. I've had from Friday night football <laughs> and all my friends and school and all that sure. other stuff. Um, but it was making sure of, you know, asking questions of like how she was feeling, you know, about mm-hmm. it and not throwing the light on and telling her to get her ass together and to go do mm-hmm. something or whatever, just kind of letting her, you know, kind of go through that. Yeah. Good job. That was perfect. Some well, people I just need that. <laughs> I didn't say that for the pat on the back, but I'm just, no, saying. No, no, but I'm just saying like, I'm, I want to encourage that because some, I, I know what that's like. We all know what that's like. We all need our introspection time, our downtime, you know, we need to recalibrate. And that's exactly what she was doing. And she was allowing herself permission to do it. And it's awesome that her mom, you know, understood that and kept a watchful eye on her, but, you know, gave her that space to be able to do that. And she probably, she obviously really needed it. And she probably woke up Sunday or eventually went to school Monday feeling refreshed. Yeah. 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 She was great. Yeah. Um, the the son the uh, male teenager in the house yeah. is sometimes the same way as well, and mm-hmm. you know and so I sit here again as this parent going okay, but does that mean that my kids need therapy <laughs> when they need to do that um, <laughs> and you know and so what are these um, you know we know the big no brainers like yeah. I'm asking for help mom I don't feel good I something's wrong right. with me I'd like to talk to somebody take your kid to therapy, like easy. Um, if they're suicidal or, you know, those kinds of things, like the, we call like the big traumas are easy. Like, you know how to fix it when it's like an obvious thing here, but Mm -hmm. what are some subtle signs that Mm -hmm. your kid may not talk to you about, but are worth kind of looking out for and noticing Mm -hmm. in patterns perhaps that, yeah, yeah. exactly. If you want to look for things that suddenly 
you know, start happening. So if all of a sudden you're noticing that your teenager is a lot more moody than usual, and it's, it's not typical for them, uh, there might be something going on. If they're isolating themselves a lot more than usual, and you're noticing that, you know, they're not coming down to watch the favorite shows with the family that they used to, or they're not participating in game night like they used to. And even though it was kind of a pulling of the teeth to get them to even do that, they're really just trying to avoid and isolate, spending more time in their room, uh, spending more time, you know, maybe away from home, away from the family. And it's just not typical. Um, you, you know, pay attention to that. If all of a sudden they have no friends and, you know, they're usually a social kid or all of a sudden there's just nothing going on on the weekends or they're not on their phone as much as they used to be. Something might be going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to look for those little things. Uh, upset in sudden drop in academics. You know, if all of a sudden they're usually um, a good student or even an average student, and then suddenly that drops. Those are that's another sign that something might be going on. Um, Self harming behaviors. If you know um, they're wearing really long sleeve shirts in hot weather you know, often, you know, pay attention to that. Something might be going, they might be hiding something. Mm-hmm. Like cutting uh, or something. Yeah. Or cu- yep, cutting or burning, something like that. Uh, they're losing interest in some activities that they used to, you know, find enjoyment in, like an art class or a sport, or they just don't want to do it anymore. It's just not fun. Something might be going on. Not getting enough sleep, getting too much sleep you know, uh, having nightmares suddenly, or suddenly they don't want to take the bus to school anymore. Uh, Those are all small signs that, you know, to look for that something might be going on Mm -hmm. that, you know, combine them all together. But really what you want to look for is like the suddenness of it. Like that's not typical of my team. Mm -hmm. And so then you want to inquire. Okay. And your inquiry is inquiry, not what's wrong with you. Yeah. yeah, like I've no, I've noticed that you've been spending a lot more time in your room, and or I've noticed that you haven't been doing, you know, as many things with your friends lately. How is everything okay? How's what's going on? You know, mm-hmm. do you need to talk? Yeah, you know, something like that, and and just then be quiet and let them talk. And if they don't want to talk, they're like, no, what a, I, you know, okay, well, I'm here, I'm here if you want to talk, you know, um, and and just kind of give them that opening and leave because teens aren't going to talk to you. If you keep pushing, pushing, push, they're not likely, I don't want to say not going to, but they're not likely to talk if we keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did have a, you know, an incident with my son about a year ago and mm-hmm. um, I did push, like I pushed hard and, you yeah. know, then I talked to my therapist and she's like, you know, you didn't need to. And I go, well, I get it. Like I, I you know, but what I noticed about him was that he was never going to say anything to me, but it was obvious that something was bugging him. And when he sure. finally did, you know, it was kind of like I sat there and kept chipping away at that wall um, mm-hmm. and, you know, judge me for what my strategy was. But once I broke through it, like, I mean, he was relieved and it's a bit because and I, I think my, I, I took that approach and justifying myself here. Um, mm-hmm. but I took that approach because I had, I knew prior he was in a situation where he had been trained to not talk. Yeah. You know? 
And, sure. and so I was struggling with, I want him to know he can hear because I'm, and I'm not like him saying it's fine or there's nothing going on when I know there's something going on, you know, because he had basically been in a, in a home life situation where, you know, emotions sure. weren't discussed, feelings weren't discussed. And at a very critical age, his adolescent brain development beginning mm-hmm. stages, he was in this, I was trying to undo all of that stuff. Maybe my strategy was not the best, but I I definitely did keep pushing on him to get him to. Yeah. Well, I think too, like, first of all, let me just say that a mother's intuition trumps everything that I just said. Okay, perfect. Good. Thank you. you I mean, you're you're his mom. So like, you know, his life, you know, the traumas he's been through, you know, the support system that he has, you know that. So if if your intuition is saying, no, I got to push, it doesn't matter what Jack said, like, yeah, she's, she's all right and all, but I know my kid, like, yeah, that trumps what I said, you know, so, but if if you just really know it to be true, Mm -hmm. you know, and it sounds like you did, and you did the right thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I'm not failing at this motherhood thing right now. <laughs> failing. Nobody's failing. No. We're all just flapping around. We don't know what we're doing. Right. right. <laughs> okay. So, so here's the thing. So I'm, I'm sitting here as a parent and I've got a kid and I'm, I'm concerned about a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, one thing maybe noticing or recognizing that, you know, Hey, kids gone through some trauma, you know, had to live through a couple of divorces, had to live through big moves you know, all that stuff, you know, had some, you know, emotional neglect from their parents because during the divorce, they were all, uh, you know, up in arms and depressed themselves and, you know, and all this other stuff. And so now you're on the back end and you're saying, okay, I, I really want to be able to make sure that I'm doing as much as I can as parent to repair while the repair can be done when the neuroplasticity, the brain is so fluid and able to be, you know, reformed and, and, you know, and fixed. Um, how do I get my kid to consider, you know, going and talking mm-hmm. to a therapist or a counselor? Because if you approach them, even if you do inquiries and, and loving, tender questions, they think mm-hmm. they're handling it with their friends and they, they have their own stigmas about it. So mm-hmm. how do you get them in there when you know they really do need to go see somebody? Right. And, and here's the thing. If your kid, um, they're not 18. So if you have to take it, I mean, if you have to take them to counseling and they're uncooperative and involuntary, well, sometimes they just have to go because you say, yeah. So it's okay to just take your kid, even if they go fighting and screaming. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you and tell mm -hmm. you in Washington state, it's Mm -hmm. 13. Oh really? Yes. Which I think is one of the biggest bullshit things I have ever heard. You're telling a 13 year old kid can decide on Whether treatment. they go to counseling or not? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, isn't that weird? That is, that is very strange. I've never heard that. So, yep. um, I mean, yep. I've heard you can 16, but yeah, 13 years old in Washington. Cause we dealt with this okay. with my daughter, um, because she had a moment, um, and this is a public story. She knows it and we all, we all, um, yeah. you know, we embrace it and share this story, but sure. she had, um, uh, had a, she didn't take the pills, but she had a dark moment in the middle of the night. We ended up at a hospital. The Mm -hmm. social worker was like, oh, we need to send her off for 10 days to go through and, you know, put the pills in her and make her, you know, better. And and I chose not to. Again, that mother's gut said, no, that's not actually what she needs. But they had said that if she got there, you know, and at 13 years old, and if she decided, you know, that it was done, it was done, you know? So it's, uh, so, so go back to, I, you know, like I said, I just, but for other people, like I said, it's, that's not all you can't, sometimes I can't force my kids now at this, at yeah. this day and age to go into therapy. 
Well, I think that the wondering um, is, def is definitely helpful. Don't use words like um, what we talked about before, those, you know, treatments and those just the, the words that make it the that make it sound like you, they're being fixed. Teenagers, you know, when they go to counseling, there's nothing to fix because there's nothing wrong with them. You know, there's counseling isn't going to be fixing them. So if you can talk about it in a way that, you know, I want you to feel supported and I, you know, uh, like a counselor can help you with what you need. You're in control of the process, especially if they're 13 they get to fire their counselor if they want to. They get to say who, they get to say when, they get to say where, and they get to decide what is talked about or not. And so I think that if parents present to teenagers that they are very much in control of the process, then that might be a lot more helpful, helpful for a teenager to be willing to go. What I say to uh, parents that call me up is I'll tell them, you know what, don't push it too hard. Have them look at my website. Have them, you know, watch my videos on, on YouTube. Have them, you know, write down questions for me and feel free to email me and I will answer those questions. You know, let them research me and decide, get them invested in the process. Help them feel like they're in control. And that way, they might be more willing to go. Listen to what they're saying. You know, if they might have some particular concerns about counseling that you could easily address and might help them feel more comfortable going if you listen to what their concerns were. Mm -hmm. Are mm -hmm. there other opportunities? I mean, we sat there and we talked about, um, you know, perhaps as parents, reframing our understanding and, and respecting the adolescent brain development piece. Like if you just, mm -hmm. if you start there maybe yeah. with like, oh my gosh, now I know how to like look at my kid differently and talk to them differently and to change my own language and posturing towards them. You know, you might get 50% of the way there with your problem, you know, or sure. with the yeah. with the issues there. So let's say that starts off successfully for you as a parent. You're mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I've got, I've got headway. Are there some self-help or, you know, methods that a parent could start to do maybe in lieu of jumping from, you know, reducing anxiety by going all the way to therapy? I mean, can, you know, there are there some in-betweens in there that that you think could be successful, especially if we're talking about like, I want to call it mild, you know, um, mild issues, like noticing that your kid uh, gets overwhelmed easily in certain situations, you know, or has, mm -hmm. you know, some anxiety around test taking or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think generally, I think just listening to your teenager and their concerns about what's going on, anxiety or whatever, they're, whatever feeling that they're having, letting them talk it out helps their brain process what's going on and what what they're feeling listening to them just having somebody listen to what we say and understand it is helpful um i think like i i wouldn't want to say you know parents go ahead and you know treat your kid for anxiety or depression depression i don't want to i don't want to say that but you know just listening and validating and empathizing is really helpful. And sometimes that can empower a kid to be like, you know, I know I feel good going back to school today, mom, and going to that, into that math test. Thank you for listening to me last night. You know, they got the angst out 
they got the anxiety out. So I, I think really just the, you know, what is it about this math test tomorrow, honey, that, that has you so anxious? Can you help me understand? Mm-hmm. And then they start talking and ask, you know, in, ask questions as you're going through the conversation that give them an indicator that you're listening. Okay, so, so you just said that algebra is particularly hard for you because they use letters and numbers, you know, and then all you have to do is say that. And they're like, yeah, and then they'll go on maybe with a little more depth. So this really attentive listening can be pretty helpful in that minor anxiety stuff. Mm-hmm. If that's right. what you're asking. Yeah, yeah, right. Definitely yeah. you're not trying to treat your kid for depression. I know. <laughs> I, I get that piece of it. Um, and then I like, you know, when you're asking these inquiring questions, because we do, we, we, I mean, a, the collective parent out mm-hmm. there tends to, because again, we have a fully functioning, some of us, uh, prefrontal cortex. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, not everyone. Um, but yeah. you, you tend to respond when they tell you what their issue is with the answer and the solution, like yes. as if you just solved it for them. But that's not that's not no. what the listening piece is. That's not attentive listening. I and I, I you know, we're all guilty of it. We're parents. We want to mm-hmm. fix things for our kids. We want to want to help them. We want to protect them. But that is not helping them learn. That's not helping them. Um, that's not really teaching. That's just fixing a problem for them. It, it's like they come to you and say, mom, what's two plus two? And you say four. You know, we wouldn't do that. We would say, well, what is two plus two? How do you figure that out? It's the same thing with feelings. It's the same thing with all this other stuff. Like, you know, there's this kid in my class that, you know, keeps saying mean things to me. Wow, I'm really sorry that you're experiencing that, honey. That that really isn't nice. How have you been handling that? How do you feel about that? And then they'll talk about how they feel. They're like, okay, well, I hear that you're feeling, you're feeling really annoyed and sad about that. And then they'll go on to say something else. You know, like, well, what are some solutions? What are some things that you've tried in handling this kid? You know, and then they talk about that is really helping them solve their problem on their own. That's teaching them how to be an adult with a fully functioning brain. It's helping their brain learn rather than just saying, well, tell a teacher or, you know, ignore them. Right. You know, not only have you given them a solution that isn't going to fucking work at all, but you've, you've shut them down. You, the message you sent is basically, I don't have time to hear about this. Just do this and it'll be fine. Right. So then your teenager is no longer going to tell you about that experience. Right. And that's, you know, Right there, you're describing what I think a lot of parents are missing about when it talks about understanding your kids and being able to communicate in their language. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, one of my blog posts when we were talking about my, our, our, my the episode with my daughter in the hospital and stuff, and you know, back then I kind of equated it to you know you need to be bilingual. Um, <laughs> you know, our first language at forty some years old is our adult language, the one that mm-hmm. we have e- evolved and developed, and how we talk with our friends and our coworkers and bosses and employees and all the people around there. And it's up in that you, you know, utilizing that part of the brain, that prefrontal cortex, where we're making choices and decisions, and we're basing it on experiences, and uh, you know, and and then whatnot. And then we try to communicate with the teenager using that same part of the brain, but you have to switch over to the teenage, you know, the bilingual language piece of it. Mm-hmm. And making that switch back and forth is not a dance that a lot of adults know how to do very well. Right. Um, and that's where, you know, I hear this piece of it and what you're zeroing in is, I don't think adults think it's that big of a deal because it's not a big deal to us anymore. Right. 
<laughs> we have forgotten right. how big of a deal it is when we were that age. You it, know? Well, of course, we want to repress what it was like being a teenager. Nobody wants to freaking remember that experience. Right. You know? <laughs> so we get to an age and it's like we have crossed over. We have now graduated to an adult brain. We are now going to forget everything about being a teenager. Like, I remember it was painful. I remember I didn't like it. It was uncomfortable. But I don't want to go back there. Right. So, you know, yeah, so many adults don't, you know, don't know how anymore to speak that teen language. And yeah. that's where, like, it, you know, when you're seeking a counselor for your teenager, look, look for somebody that has experience working with teenagers. Don't just go to some counselor out there because counselors also are adults. So some of them don't understand how to work with teens. And I'll let you in on a little secret. A lot of counselors out there don't want to work with teens. <laughs> they don't like working with teens. <laughs> but so when you so when you research counselors, make sure you research somebody that has experience working with teenagers, or is working in a clinic that has a supervisor or somebody else that has experience working with teenagers. You know, you might run across somebody who is a new counselor, but they're being supervised by somebody who has experience in working with teens and families. That's okay. Cause they're going to be supervised by that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's, that's what you want to look for rather than, you know, a lot of teenagers have come, come to me, um, you know, and I'm like the second or third counselor that they see because their parents took them you know, to their doctor, the doctor refers them to the corporate clinic in the area, and they go through the process. And they eventually they end up by me because they're spit out of this machine. And they just didn't develop rapport with their counselor, because the counselor doesn't have experience with teenagers. Or, you know, the counselor is an older person, and they're, you know, they have to dress up for work. And so they're dressed they're dressed up nice. They're sitting there. They're totally not relating to a teenage. Not that this counselor isn't good at their job. That's not what I'm saying. It's just this misfire, you know, mm -hmm. and then they, they get to me and I show up in my, you know, I don't know, joggers, yoga pants, my chucks and, you know, my tattooed arms. And instantly, like I can tell they feel a lot more comfortable in mm -hmm. that office. And I'm not trying, you know, I'm just, I'm not trying to say like counselors have to dress that way to work with teenagers. Right. I'm just saying like counselors that understand teenagers and work with teenagers, their office will reflect that. It will be meeting that teenager's needs and helping them feel safe there. Whatever yeah. it, it chucks or whatever it is, they're going to, they're going to know that. Yeah. And I, uh, because sometimes they're just family counselors, they just lump it all in into, yep. you know, one, one kind of a thing there. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily a teen counselor. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And the teen counselor gets the fact that the teenager is still kind of making a lot of emotional based decisions and trying to form, you know, how to process those things more so. And then you throw hormones in on it. We didn't talk oh about God. that, but I mean, yeah. Yes. It's like, this is the, this is the worst thing. Well, I was going to say too, you know, our parent, our knee jerk reaction as parents is that we love our kids. And right. when we jump in to solve their problem for them, we really are just attempting to spare them from the misery that the teenage years are presenting to them. Right. You know what I mean? Or it's so, reminding you of your teenage years and you don't want to be reminded of that. Yes. You're triggered by something yeah. in there. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, so do you have resources on your website that parents might, you know, we talk about this, this 
the dialogue, the communication piece of talking with your teens is probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest parts here. What do you have out there that somebody could go um, to get off of your website that could help yeah. them? There's a, my um, website has some links to some free resources, like how to choose a counselor for your teenager, how to start a conversation, how, you know, how to talk to your teenager. There's um, some other resources on there as far as like how to ask your kid, how was school today without saying how was school today? You know, like some (laughs) different ways to do the I wonder kind of thing versus just asking a question. And in all of my resources, I talk about the brain development. So I'm constantly reiterating that to parents so that they, you know, they really get a good education about brain development and they remember that because sometimes it's hard to just remember that like, oh yeah, that's right. Your brain is like, half online. Like I have to help you with this. Mm-hmm. Um, another good book to read Dr. Dan Siegel. I think I've mm-hmm. talked about him before with you. Yep, he's attachment a, guy. Yep. Yeah. He's a neuropsychiatrist in California. He wrote a book called brainstorm. It's a really, really good book about understanding the adolescent developing brain. And he gives a lot of ideas in that book too, on how to connect with your teenager, how to help your teenager emotionally regulate. And the book is written in a way that it's written for parents, but it's also written for teenagers. They can read it too. He like really took all this neuroscience stuff and really dumbed it down for all of us. To understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a beautiful book if um, you want to understand the teenage brain more. Cool. I like it. So I'm going to look, I haven't read that one. I know Dr. Dan Siegel. Um, yeah. I, that's not a book that I have. So that'll add that to my reading list for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and a, a, a thought popped into my head here. Is there something that we can do? I mean, I sit as a parent going, I can't, I can't do it all. You know, I want to, Mm -hmm. but it, you know, the whole, it takes a village kind of thing. And I think when it comes Mm -hmm. to mental health and mental wellness, which is my preferred term, I prefer mental wellness, you know, what is a parent, um, is there any advocacy or is there anything that we think that we could see happening in schools and te- with teenagers? Because when you think about counselors, the counselors aren't always counselors, like in terms mm-hmm. of mental mental health. Sometimes they're just there to help get them to school, like your guidance counselors, you know, when you get into high school and stuff like that. I feel like there's some real opportunities in schools to be able to kind of step up the mental wellness game. Any thoughts that you have on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that. (laughs) I know. So you work with teenagers and I think that we're missing some opportunities in there of, you know, educating teachers, having better resources available at the school for the kids, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yes. That's yeah. why I have a Teachers Pay Teachers is a, it's a website that teachers and school counselors go to, to, you know, purchase curriculum, purchase, you know, there's a lot of resources on there. So I put my resources on there at a discounted price, actually, for teachers and school counselors, because I know that when it comes to mental wellness in the schools, they don't have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the school counselors, when you're getting up to middle school and high school, they're really trained to help kids academic, academically and get into college. They don't have a lot of time to do the mental wellness stuff. So I think that we could really improve our health classes by teaching this brain science whether the health teacher gets educated on it or you just bring in a counselor in the community like me or whoever's in your, the teen therapist in your local community to talk to the kids, like do like a week long brain, you know, adolescent development, like project with the teenagers that they can participate in and learn about their brains and then have 
you know, maybe like a, a invitation where the parents can come in on an evening and learn about the same thing their kids have been learning and have that counselor maybe do some workshops where they can go through some role playing with those parents, like how, how to use this stuff to talk to your teenagers. So the parents can be like, well, what if this? Well, what if that? And then the counselor can kind of guide them through. Schools could be doing so much of that and starting at such a young age, even in elementary school, mm -hmm. to help parents understand that, to help teachers understand that. I, I have been begging some of the public schools in my area to just let me come in and do some of these trainings or let count, any counselor come in and do some of these trainings. But, you know, they don't have the money. You know, these public schools don't really have the, the money. And I've even offered to do it for free. But it's just, I don't know what it is. If it's just not important to them or they just don't have the time. I don't know what it is. But schools could be doing a heck of a lot more, in my opinion, rather than just offering, you know, a meeting with the counselor at the school, there could be massive education going on as far as, you know, the, the teenage brain and even yeah. how to manage a bully, how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with depression, how to recognize depression, all of that stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, like we said earlier, the status quo is based on antiquated and outdated and also yeah. just lack of information. Yep. The neuroscience data is less than two decades old and the teachers mm -hmm. in the schools right now, the administrators, the parents that are out there, we, we all missed that boat. And, and then, yeah. you know, you know, how many people are going to actually go buy Dr. Dan's book? Well, I yeah. am because yeah. this is my purpose and passion, you know, and then I distill it down into a podcast, you know, so that people don't have to read the book. Yeah. <laughs> but the reality exactly. is, is that the science, you know, everything that I've educated myself with, besides from talking with, you know, amazing people like you, I've read white papers, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you know, articles and, you know, and, and other books that are usually written for other therapists by other therapists and researchers. Yes. Like I, I, I've had to dig for it. The, the general knowledge of all of this just hasn't gotten there yet. There's no momentum. I mean, and that's, you know, again, that's, that's why One Broken Mom for me is my, my passion project to find mm -hmm. some way of integrating this discussion out there to say, Hey, did you know, that mm -hmm. we're missing a huge key piece here. And it might like, you know, make your life just with your kids so much better. It might make you have a better understanding of why you at 40 some years old have issues, you know, mm -hmm. because you were missing some of these pieces. And man, isn't it amazing to think that we can change all of this now? It, um, it's so, it's so amazing. Like I have clients, you know, the teenage clients, these families will come in, you know, and I'll teach them, you know, over, I don't know, however many sessions, several sessions, some it's only a few, but teach them about this stuff and teach parents how to approach teenagers in a different way with a different perspective. And then give teenagers just a little bit of, you know, um, understanding and validation and empathy, provide them with some new coping skills to manage anxiety, depression, whatever it is. And then they walk away with a better relationship with their kid. You know, they learn, they're able to learn more about their kid. Like so many parents will say like, I don't know what's going on in my kid's life. Well, they walk away from these counseling sessions with their kid, knowing what's going on in their kid's life and their kid telling them what's going on in their kids in, in their life, you know, because we've gotten this new way of talking with each other. Like you were talking about before, like being bilingual and understanding that. And it's just so beautiful to watch that. And I just, it, I get really excited too and passionate about like, oh man, I could, if I could just get in the schools, <laughs> I could just, you know, share this in a massive way 
you know, like Dr. Dan does with, with his, um, you know, presentations that he gives, like it, it, it's just so inspiring and it's so powerful. This little bit of change that, that you need or that, that it just works so well. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. My brain is like sitting there going, okay, the activity girl, you know, my self-help yeah. vigilante piece is like, yeah, yeah. Okay. How am I going to uh-huh. do this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make this one happen. Uh-huh. Um, Cool. Well, I'm glad we talked about that piece of it there um, because I, I do think overall, you know, with rising suicide rates in teenagers mm-hmm. is that's, you know, that's a, a big piece of it. And it's because we continue to keep, I mean, I'm going to just say this, we continue to keep our head in the sand only because somebody hasn't told us to pull it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like we're doing it out of ignorance and that we're stupid, mean people. We just don't know yet what we don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Pull, you know, talking about that piece of it again, going into that adolescent brain development piece. Um, I don't know if the title of my podcast now is getting your teen into therapy. I thought that was, <laughs> I'm going to have to think about this one. So congratulations when you're listening to the episode, you get to see the title that I came up with. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be a surprise. Fun. We'll see what we get out of this. Um, well, so let me ask real quick. Um, is it important for a parent to consider going to sessions with their kid? Absolutely. And it's important because, number one, if the teenager is the target client, um, if, if families are a system, and if one part of the system is hurting, everyone in the system is hurting. So the teenager might be the one that's displaying the behaviors and the, the moodiness, the inappropriateness, whatever it is. But that means that the entire family has a problem, not just that one person. So like when I work with a teenager, I have the parents commit to coming into session every fifth or sixth session that I work with a teenager, whether it's the entire session or 15 minutes, I want to check in with those parents because I want to hear from them, what are they seeing that's going on with their teenager after five sessions? And then I also want to help the parents feel like they're involved and they know what's going on with their teenager. So this is their opportunity to ask questions. It's also my opportunity to include them in the process because at this point, teenager has told me what their parents are doing wrong. (laughs) So now I have an opportunity to help coach these parents, which is probably 80% of my job when I work with a teenager is working with the parents. 20% of my job is helping the teenager, but that 80%, that teenager is upset because parents aren't getting something. So I help coach those parents in adjustments they can make in a non-threatening way. Like this is not to blame anybody. It's not parents' fault that their kids need counseling. That's not what I'm trying to say. There's a misfire. There's a miscommunication going on. So I help them kind of figure that out. And then, you know, I go back to five more sessions with um, my teenage client because, you know, they do need to be heard. They do need to talk and they do need some work. But I think if parents take their teenager to, client, to sessions and they never participate, that nothing is really going to change. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes I'll get a teenage client at age 16 and it is clear to me, I just got to get them through until they're 18 and they can move out. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that happens. And so that's what we do. 
Yeah. Well, and I was sitting there thinking when you talk about, you know, that a lot of times, 80% of the times, you yeah. know, you're, you're talking about identifying the fact that it's the kid or the, the kid's the symptom. And so what popped in my head was John Balby, the, the, the kind of the grandfather of attachment theory, mm-hmm. you know, and he had always consistently said, you know, when he started to study, you know, children and teenagers was that you treat the child, you have to treat the parent. Yes. They are, they are synchronous with each other. Absolutely. Um, and so, and, and so you, you know, what your experience is showing is that sometimes it's just a matter of relating to the kids differently and being aware of, you know, what we could be doing better. Not again, I love it. It's not about shame or anything like that, but again, no. there's, there's so many things that we don't understand and know that we had modeled to us as, you know, kids, you know, mm-hmm. and, and demonstrated to us. So, mm-hmm. um, and I guess it's the other thing, for everybody. yeah. Well, I, what I was going to say was that, so you're describing that 80% of the time it's communication, it's understanding, it's not actually mental illness. There right. isn't some sort of brain defect or, mm-hmm. you know, something genetically wrong with your kid that even if they, I think, even if they end up becoming bipolar, mm-hmm. you know, those roots can probably be more or less traced back to other traumas and stuff like that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. mental illness is, I, that's why I, I use mental wellness. Because it's mm-hmm. to me, mental illness I think is far rarer than people actually think it is. Mental wellness yes. and great communication and understanding of our emotional needs and and all that stuff is really you know the nuts and bolts of you know getting mm-hmm. getting through this. Yeah, so. and I would tell any parent that you know is taking your teenager to a counselor and you want to be a part of session, but that counselor is not including you in session and they're just seeing your teenager and they're not inviting you into session. They're not including you in part of the process. Um, And it's not because your teenager is saying, absolutely not. I don't want them in here. If that counselor is not making an effort to include parents, find another counselor (laughs) (laughs) because that's happened a lot when families have found me, you know, I'm amazed sometimes that they'll come in and I'll say, okay, well, what did the counselor, you know, how did the counselor work with you guys? Like, what did they, and well, we never, they never invited us back. We never got to go back. Crazy. What? After 10 sessions, the counselor never met with you guys? No, they just discharged my kid and said that they're fine. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) So so if that happens and you definitely want to be a part of it, find a new counselor. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's good advice. Right. And we've talked about, you know, in therapy, you, you do get to make choices. You know, I had a Mm -hmm. session with my, um, with my therapist talking about how to pick a therapist as an adult. And um, because a lot of people think that that's just the way it is. And so thank you for saying that, that that's not the, the key to success here with this. Right. No, you can fire your counselor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And they're all, and they're all different too. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. like you, you went through that. They all are different. There isn't, mm-hmm. you know, there isn't a standard application of, of therapy and counseling no. to this. And, and I've heard that from people too, that have just, they've had one experience and then they've written it off all t- together because they just happen to have a shitty therapist. Yeah. I feel bad when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we're all human, you know, some of us are great at our jobs and some of us are, you know, average, you know, we're not that great. So, right. you know, <laughs> so find one that fits. And then when it, we're talking about mental wellness, it's, uh, you got to connect. So, and not yeah, exactly. all together. So, yeah. And it's happened to me. I've had teenagers, you know, I always say this to my clients, like, you know, if there's something I say or something I do that is offensive to you, I guarantee it wasn't intentional, but please feel free to bring it up with me or tell your parents and they can bring it up with me. Give me an opportunity to correct it and, it, and explain what I meant. 
because I, <clears throat> I may not know it upset you. And I want to make sure that, that you feel safe here. And then I'll say too, like, if you think I'm weird, or you can't stand the sound of my voice, let me know, we will find you another therapist. There's no reason you have to keep coming here if you can't stand the sound of my voice, you know, because that happened once. I had a client <laughs> was a teenager and couldn't stand the sound of my voice. And it was after like five sessions. And then the parents finally told me why this teenager was so resistant to coming. I'm like, well, let's, oh my gosh, let's get them a different therapist. There is no reason they have to keep that. That's, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't have to do that. So, so yeah, I mean, it's for any reason. I mean, as silly as it might sound, you need to feel comfortable and safe with your counselor and feel like you can say anything. And if you don't feel that way, you know, interview some other counselors. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Well, okay. Jax, again, this was another amazing uh, conversation with you. So um, I appreciate everything. So again, uh, let everybody know what's your website so they can get some of these goodies that you have there. Uh, www.psychotherapist.com. And it's psychotherapist spelled with a K. P-S-Y-K-O therapist.com. Cool. And you're on Facebook. Um, yep. You got a page there. You share a lot of really cool articles and stuff like that related to teenagers. And so everybody mm -hmm. can go find you on Facebook as well and follow so you can get yeah. good advice that Jax doles out yeah. and on Instagram. So you can follow her there as well. Well, yep, at the psychotherapist. <laughs> sweet. Okay. I think that we have done some good today. So yeah, a conversation. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry. It went so far over. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. We're all going to be good here. So okay. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to one broken mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiricone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Quirconi, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.